And all right, well, let's take our Bibles tonight, and I'd ask you to go with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 19. We've been preaching through the book of Isaiah on Sunday nights, and uh, we've been taking one week per, uh, one chapter per week, so we're in our 19th week in the study of Isaiah, and we're in Isaiah chapter number 19. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and one of our ushers will get one for you, and you need to have a Bible as we study God's Word. Isaiah chapter number 19, we'll begin reading at verse number 1, we'll read the entire chapter, as is our custom, Isaiah chapter 19, we'll begin reading at verse number 1. The Bible says, The burden of Egypt, behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud, and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of, of it. And I will set the Egyptian against the Egyptians, and they shall fight every one against his brother, and every one against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof, and I will destroy the counsel thereof, and they shall seek to the idols and to the charmers, and to them that have familiar spirits, and to the wizards. And the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel lord. And a fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And the waters shall fail from the sea, and the rivers shall be wasted and dried up. And they shall turn the rivers far away, and the brooks of defense shall be emptied and dried up. The reeds and flags shall wither, the paper reeds by the brooks, by the mouths of the brooks. And everything sown by the brooks uh, shall wither, be driven away, and be no more." The fishers also shall mourn, and all they that cast angle into the brooks shall lament, and they that spread nets upon the waters shall languish. Moreover, they that work in fine flax, and they that weave networks shall be confounded, and they shall be broken in the purposes thereof, all that make sluices and ponds for fish. Surely the princes of Zoan are fools. The counsel of the wise counselors of Pharaoh is become brutish. How say ye unto Pharaoh, I am the son of the wise and the son of ancient kings? Where are they? Where are thy wise men? And let them tell thee now, and let them know what the Lord of hosts hath purposed upon Egypt. The princes of Zoan are become fools. The princes of Naph are deceived. They have also seduced Egypt, even they that are to stay of the tribes thereof. The Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit in the midst thereof, and they have caused Egypt to err in every work thereof, as a drunken man staggereth in his vomit. Neither shall there be any work for Egypt, which the head or tail, branch or rush may do. In that day shall Egypt be like unto women, that it and it shall uh, be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he shaketh over it. And the land of Judah shall be a terror unto Egypt. Every one that maketh mention thereof shall be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he hath determined against it. And in that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan and swear to the Lord of hosts. One shall be called the city of destruction. In that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and the pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressor, and he shall send them a Savior and a great one, and he shall deliver them. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day, and shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow a vow unto the Lord and perform it. And the Lord shall smite Egypt, he shall smite and heal it, and they shall return even to the Lord. And he shall 
be entreated of them and shall heal them. In that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptians into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. And let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, come to you tonight asking that you would please bless the time that we have to set aside and study your word. And Father, I pray that you would help me uh, to be able to have clarity of mind. Lord, help me to be able to have the energy that I need to be able to preach your word and help us to be able to study the Bible together and be able to understand it clearly. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Isaiah chapter 19, and like I, I announced this uh, morning, uh, I didn't plan this on purpose, it's just kind of a Holy Spirit thing, but uh, tonight we're in Isaiah chapter 19, which deals with end times prophecy, and on Wednesday night we'll be in Matthew 24, which again deals with end times prophecy with the Olivet Discourse, so I guess God just decided we need to have a little mini-series on, uh, on, in regards to, uh, you know, the rapture and end times, and I wish I could tell you that I planned it all out, but I, I, 19 weeks ago, I did not plan out that we would be in the same week at Matthew 24 as, Matthew, as Isaiah 19. I'm just not that smart. I couldn't figure all that out, but um, it, it just kind of worked out that way. So what we're going to do tonight, tonight's going to be very much of a Bible study, so you need to be ready to kind of look up some passages and, and move quickly. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to compare Isaiah 19 to Matthew 24, and then on Wednesday night, we're going to compare Matthew 24 to the book of Revelation. So by the time this thing's done, you should be pretty uh, comfortable with this idea of end time events. Now you need to understand this about prophecy. Whenever there's prophecy written in scripture, especially Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Daniel, those types of books, oftentimes there is a immediate application and then a future event. And you need to understand, the, the, the things that Isaiah writes about Egypt in Isaiah 19 did happen and already happened to Egypt. But this chapter kind of serves as an allegory, uh, for lack of better words, or as a, just kind of a, a picture or a glimpse of things to come. You know, the word glimpse means a, a momentary or partial view, and it kind of just gives us a little bit of insight into how things are going to play out in end times prophecy. In verse number one, we get a glimpse of the coming Christ. And this is what kind of sets the context and allows us to know that this chapter has more to do with Egypt, uh, than just Egypt. Now, here's what you got to understand about Egypt before we even read verse one. Egypt in the Bible often is used to illustrate the world or our society as the world. And um, you will find that throughout the Bible, whenever Egypt is mentioned in a story, it kind of pictures the world. You know, another similar uh, location that's like that is Sodom, representing the things of the world. If you remember, the God's people were in bondage in Egypt. God sent a deliverer to bring them out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea, which is probably a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ, as they came out of Egypt. Later, they crossed, uh, crossed the Jordan River, uh, which is probably a picture of baptism, as 
they went into Canaan land, which uh, pictures a victorious Christian life. And we preached out of Joshua for many, many weeks, so I won't uh, get into all that. But all of this kind of pictures and represents certain things. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that the Old Testament serves as a foreshadowing of things to come. It's a figure of things to come. Uh, I think you'll, you'll agree that we'll find that in Isaiah 19. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, uh, the burden of Egypt. Now remember, Egypt represents the world. And he says, behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt, representing the world. And the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. So the first thing we see is we get a glimpse of the coming Christ, the coming Lord Jesus, because the Bible tells us that there are the that Jesus will come with clouds, and there's a, a, a characteristic or an illustration of clouds at Christ coming. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 19. Go with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter number 1. And uh, keep your finger in Revelation because we're going to come back to it or, or your bulletin or a ribbon or something in Revelation. But look at Revelation chapter 1. Like I said, tonight's going to be more of a, this morning was more of a preaching type thing and tonight will be more of a Bible study type thing. So just be ready to kind of look up verses, take notes. If you like to take notes, write in your Bible. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says this. Revelation should be fairly easy to find. Last book in the New New Testament, Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 says, Behold, He, now the He there in the context is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, Behold, He cometh with clouds. You see that? And every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of Him, even so. Amen. So the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that Jesus is coming or cometh with Clouds And Isaiah 19.1 tells us the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah God, rideth upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt. And, you, you know, sometimes people say, well, why, why is it God coming in on the cloud and then Jesus? Well, that's because Jesus is God. And they're coming in, uh, you know, so that picture. So we get a picture here of the clouds at Christ's coming. But there's more to it than just that. Go back to Isaiah 19. Look at verse 1. Not only are there clouds at Christ's coming that is often represented, you know, Jesus coming in the clouds or coming in the air. There are also earthquakes at Christ's coming. And look at Isaiah 19. Look at verse 1. The burden of Egypt. Behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud. And we saw the reference there to Revelation 1-7. He cometh with clouds and shall come into Egypt. Now notice, when the Lord comes with clouds no, or cometh uh, riding, rideth upon a swift cloud, notice what happens. And the idols of Egypt shall be moved. Do you see that? The idols of Egypt shall be moved at His presence and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. So the Bible tells us that the Lord is going to ride in on a swift cloud, and when He does ride in, the idols are going to be moved. Now skip down to verse 16 just real quickly, and notice in Isaiah 19, 16, a reference to this thing of movement or shaking. In Isaiah 19, uh, chapter 19 and verse 16, the Bible says this, In that day shall Egypt be like unto women, and it shall be afraid and fear. Why? Because of, notice, the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he shaketh over it. So the Bible tells us that the Lord is going to come in on a swift, uh, rideth upon a swift cloud. And when he comes in, the idols will be moved and people are going to be scared because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord. And you got to understand this. The Bible teaches, go to Isaiah 13, just real quickly. Isaiah 13, for those of you that were here, when we preached through Isaiah 13, some weeks back, you may remember that Isaiah 13 uh, teaches us about the great day 
of the wrath of the Lord that is to come. And notice, if you cross-reference it to Matthew 24, and we're not going to take the time to do that just right now, but I want you to just remember this terminology. Isaiah 13 and verse number 10, the Bible says this, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. That matches the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, again, matches Revelation, matches the Olivet Discourse, uh, Revelation chapter 6, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine, Verse 11, and I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. And I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Now you got to understand this. When the, dark, when the sun turns dark and the, and the moon turns dark, okay, Matthew 24 tells us, you know, the Olivet Discourse, the book of Revelation, tells us that's because the Lord's coming in the air, in the clouds, okay? This is all within the same context. Now notice what happens, verse 12. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir, verse 13. Therefore, I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. So the Bible teaches us that when the Lord comes in the clouds, there will be a terrible earthquake that's going to shake the heavens and the earth. Now notice how this matches uh, Revelation chapter 6. Go to Revelation real quick. Did you keep your place in Revelation? Uh, We were just in Revelation chapter 1. Go to Revelation chapter number 6. Look at verse 12. Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 12. And actually, let me get to Revelation myself so I can look at something. Revelation chapter 6. And uh, look at verse, well, just look at verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, notice, there was a great earthquake. Do you see that? Now, notice how this matches what we just read in Isaiah 13. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Remember, the, the heavens and the earth are going to be shaken. Verse 14. And the heaven departed as a scroll. That's what we were uh, singing about this morning. It is well with my soul. Lord haste the day. And it talks about the heavens being rolled up like a scroll. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Do you see that? So the Bible teaches when Jesus comes back. Not only is there going to be a characteristic of him coming in the clouds, but there's going to be a characteristic of of this huge earthquake that will move the mountains and move the islands. It'll shake the heavens. It'll shake the earth. And it's going to cause the idols of Egypt to fall as God uh, returns to this earth. Go back to Isaiah 19. Look at verse 1. Not only is there a characteristic of clouds, and not only is there a characteristic of Earthquakes, but there's also this characteristic of fear. In Revelation 19 and verse 1, the Bible says, The burden of Egypt, behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud, and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, referring to the great earthquake. Now notice what it says, And the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. So the Bible says, The heart of Egypt shall melt. In the midst of it. Skip down to verse 17. Look at what verse 17 says. And the land of Judah shall be a terror unto Egypt. 
every one that maketh mention thereof shall be afraid in himself. Do you see that? There's going to be a terror unto Egypt, shall be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he had determined against it. Go back to Isaiah 13, just real quickly. Remember we saw in Isaiah 13 that there was going to be a great earthquake, the sun was going to become dark, the moon was going to become dark, and it matched Revelation chapter 6. So we know that we're talking about the same context. But look at Isaiah 13 and verse 7, and notice the correlation to Isaiah 19 and verse 1. Isaiah 19, 1 said, The heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. Isaiah 13, verse 7 says, Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. Do you see that? So we, we, we're talking about all the same thing. And here's what you got to understand. The first glimpse we get in Isaiah 19 is a glimpse of the coming of Christ. When he comes, he will come with clouds or riding swiftly upon a cloud. When he comes, he will shake the heavens and he will shake the earth. And we talked about it in Isaiah 13. We went into it uh, more fully and more deeply. But the Bible goes on to tell us that no tower will be left standing. No mountain will be left. Everything will become flat. Everything that is upright will fall on its face as Christ comes to this earth. Everything will submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that... But men's hearts will fail, and their hearts will melt, and they will be afraid at the coming of Christ. So the first glimpse we get is a glimpse into the coming of Christ. But there's also another glimpse that we get in Isaiah 19, if you go back to verse number 2. Not only do we get a glimpse of the coming of Christ, we also get a glimpse of the coming tribulation. We get a glimpse of the coming tribulation. Isaiah 19 and verse 2 says this, I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians. Now that actually happened. The Egyptians had these civil wars uh, shortly after the life of Isaiah where they actually split up into 12 different you know, kingdoms or nations and they began to fight each other. And it says, I will set the Egyptian against the Egyptians and they shall fight every one against his brother and every one against his neighbor, city against city. But notice how he kind of keys into some end times prophecy uh, terminology. He says, and kingdom against kingdom. Now, keep your finger in Isaiah 19 because I want you to see this back and forth. But go with me to Matthew 24. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24 and look at verse number 6. Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 6. Now, Matthew 24 is the passage we'll be in on Wednesday night and we'll look at it more thoroughly. But in Matthew 24 and verse 6, Jesus is explaining the events that will lead up to the coming of Christ. And the time that we know as a tribulation. Now, there are some who believe that Christians will not go through the tribulation, and the reason that they believe that is they'll, they'll say because Christians are not appointed to the wrath of God, and they just do not understand biblical terminology. Tribulation in the Bible is different than the wrath of God. You, if you study the word tribulation throughout the Scripture, you will never find that it's referring to the wrath of God. It's always referring to persecution. It's always referring to bad things happening to Christians uh, for the most part. Matthew 24, look at verse 6. The Bible says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. So notice, the tribulation period is going to be characterized by warfare. Now notice what it says. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be, uh, be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation. Now key in on this phrase, and kingdom against kingdom. Do you see that? Now notice, just flip back to Isaiah 19.2. Look at the last phrase of Isaiah 19.2. Kingdom against kingdom. 
So God is explaining to us that there's a characteristic of this tribulation period, and it's going to be characterized by warfare. Nations going to battle against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. So now, now go, back, go back to Matthew 24, look at verse 7. Not only is there going to be kingdoms against kingdoms, warfare and fighting, but there's another characteristic that'll, uh, that we'll see in the tribulation period. The Bible says, and there shall be famines. Do you see that? Famines and pestilences and earthquakes. Now, here's the key word, because there's famines and pestilences and earthquakes today. But during the tribulation period, what's going to make this different is there's going to be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. What that means is that areas that never saw earthquakes will see earthquakes. And areas that never saw famines will see famines. And areas that never saw pestilences will see pestilences. And we'll notice that God kind of keys in on that in Isaiah 19. Go back to Isaiah 19. Now keep your finger there, Matthew 24. We're going to be going back and forth uh, to different places. But look at Isaiah 19. Now here's what you got to understand about Egypt. Egypt in history, has been known as a fertile place. The Nile River was referred to as the river that gave life. They had, one of the reasons that Egypt was such a powerhouse in ancient times was because they had this Nile River that gave them uh, life and gave them resources. But notice the characteristics of end times prophecy is that places that used to be fertile, that used to be uh, full of resources, that used to provide a lot of food and a lot of uh, uh, resources for people, they're going to dry up during this period of the tribulation and God kind of gives us that hint in Isaiah 19 and verse 5 he says and the waters shall fail from the sea do you see that and the rivers shall be wasted and dried up now here's what you understand here's the only way that a river gets dried up if there's no rain because rivers will get their source of water from the mountains as the water travels downhill it forms those rivers and when you remove the rain from certain areas and those rivers that have for thousands of years been full and flush and provided water uh, for, for locations to be fertile and to, and, to, and to be able to have a lot of area. The Bible says in verse 6, and they shall turn the rivers far away and the brooks of defense shall be emptied. Notice what it says. They shall be emptied and dried up. The reeds and flags shall wither. The paper reeds by the brooks, by the mouth of the brooks, and everything sown by the brooks, notice these words, shall wither, be driven away, and be no more. The fishers also shall mourn. And all they that cast angle, talking about people that fish with hooks, into the brook shall lament, and they that spread nets upon the water shall languish. Now, here's what you're going to understand. They're going to be upset because their resources have dried up. There's going to be famines because the natural resources have dried up. Famines. Now, here's what you're going to understand, okay? And, and, and we'll get into it maybe probably more on Wednesday night when we talk about it. Here's the difference between the tribulation period and the wrath of God. The tribulation period is, are, are things produced by men. They will persecute Christians. That is happening already. Men have always persecuted Christians, but they'll do it to an extent that, that has never been seen. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. That has already happened. Uh, it's happening now. The wrath of God 
when you get to the wrath of God in the book of Revelation, you're seeing God pour out his wrath in a supernatural way. I mean, he's opening up hell, bringing out all sorts of creatures out of hell. He's, he's throwing fire down and, and hail. and bring, I mean, he, he is supernaturally destroying this world. Tribulation time, we got earthquakes, we have famines, we have pestilences, we have persecution, we have wars and rumors of wars. Those are all things we have now, but they're going to get worse as we get closer. Now, here's what you got to understand. Everything in the tribulation period is man-made. Brother Clint sent me a couple videos a few weeks ago that were very interesting. And I, I, uh, I tend to be of the persuasion that these famines are going to be man-produced as well. And uh, there's a lot of research, and I, I'm not an expert, so you, you can look into it, but there's a lot of research, and there's no, there's no doubt that something's happening, but you know, to what extent, I, I don't know that anybody really knows. But there's a thing called geoengineering. And let me give you the definition. It's the deliberate, large-scale manipulation of an environmental process that affects the Earth's climate. Now, supposedly, they do this in an attempt to counteract the effects of global warming. But realistically, they're doing it in order to control. Our government is trying to figure out if they can control weather patterns to help them with their warfare. And, uh, you know, you ought to look it up and do some research. I'm not, I'm not the, the expert on this, but it, without, it, it's, it's a fact that there's uh, materials, metals being put into the air and being heated in order to cause certain areas to not uh, receive. There, there's a lot of uh, evidence to show that the, uh, the drought that we're going through in California right now is probably a result of people trying to play God and trying to figure out, you know, can we control weather patterns? Can we? Now, here's what you understand. If you make one area that usually is uh, full of resources and you dry it up, you, you, you mess with the entire balance of the earth. You can't just mess with one area and not affect other areas. And I personally believe that these weather patterns is going to be governments, you know, and, and maybe we're just seeing the early stages of it now, but it will come to pass that they'll begin to do these things in a way, you know, to play God. And these famines and these pestilences and Ebola and all these things are going to be created and let, you know, into society. There are organizations that have goals to kill masses of people to bring the world population to a certain level. And it just makes sense that everything in the tribulation period is man-made. So these pestilences and these uh, famines are probably going to be produced by men as well. And like I said, I'm, I'm not the expert. You ought to do some research. And it's pretty interesting things. The, the world is getting uh, waxing worse and worse the closer we get uh, to these things. Look at uh, Isaiah 19. Look at verse 11. This time of the tribulation is not only going to be characterized by famines, and we see here that the famines came because the rivers dried. The rivers dried because the rain stopped. And there's a lot of evidence to tell us that there are people, uh, evil people, trying to figure out how to do those things with science even now. Isaiah 19 and verse 11. This area, this time, is also going to be characterized by confusion. Notice what Isaiah writes in verse 11. He says, Surely the princes of Zoan are fools. Now, the princes were the ones that were supposed to give advice to the leaders there. And he says, Your princes, they are fools. Notice what he says. The council 
of the wise counselors of Pharaoh is become brutish. That, the word brutish is the, just means dumb. It means stupid is what the word means. He says, How say ye unto Pharaoh, I am the son of the wise, the son of the ancient kings? Verse 12. Where are they? Where are thy wise men? And let them tell thee now, and let them know what the Lord of hosts hath purposed upon Egypt. The princes of Zoan are become fools. The princes of Naph are deceived. Make note of those words. They're fools. They're deceived. They also seduce Egypt, even that they are uh, that even they that are the stay of the tribes thereof. Verse fourteen. I want you to make note of this phrase: the Lord. Now, notice who is it that does this? It's the Lord. It's God. The Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit in the midst thereof. This tribulation period is going to be characterized by a time of confusion where we're going to look at political leaders who are supposed to be wise, who are supposed to be smart, who are supposed to know, you know what to do, and, and, their, and their, their knowledge, is they're going to become brutes, they're going to become fools, they're going to get deceived. They're going to, God is going to send a perverse spirit in the midst of the people in order to confuse them. This is another characteristic of, uh, of the tribulation. Go, keep your finger there, Isaiah 19. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Remember all the T-books are together. First and 2 Thessalonians, First and 2 Timothy, Titus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 11. And I want you to notice this phrase in Isaiah 19 and verse 4. It says, The Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit. God sends a perverse spirit in the midst thereof that they may, uh, that they have caused Egypt to err in every work thereof as a drunken man staggereth in his vomit. God said, I'm going to send a spirit that is going to cause the Egyptians to be as confused as a drunk man is when he's vomiting all over himself. And this is a characteristic of the tribulation period when our world is going to be confused and it'll be confused. Because God sent the Spirit to confuse them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 11. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse 11. The Bible says, and of course these are all end times prophecy passages. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11. The Bible says, and for this cause, notice, God. So who's doing this? It's God. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusions. That they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, people say, well, how is it that the Antichrist is going to show up and he's going to fool the entire world and everybody's going to just follow him and worship him and think that he's going to... How is all that going to happen? I'll tell you exactly how it's going to happen because God himself will send a strong delusion. God, the Lord, hath mingled a perverse spirit, is what Isaiah says. And this is all picturing the characteristics of the tribulation period. What are those characteristics? Warfare. What are those characteristics? Famines, probably caused by man himself. What are those characteristics? Confusion. People being sent a strong delusion that they all might be damned who believe not the truth. Go back to Matthew 24. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24 also. Look at verse 24. Matthew 24 and verse number 24. Matthew 24 and verse 4, the Bible says, For there shall arise false Christ." and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders. These guys are going to be really good. Insomuch that if, now it says if, and I, I, lo- I love that. It says, insomuch that if it were possible. Now here's what he's saying. It's not possible. And thank God it's not possible. 
But he says, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. He says, they're going to be so good. God says, if I allowed it to, they would even deceive the very elect. But God says, I'm not going to allow. Because God is the one that's allowing these things. Obviously, like we talked about this morning, everything is filtered through God. But God, during this tribulation time, is going to send a, a spirit that is perverse. And he's going to mingle it amongst the people. And he's going to send them a strong delusion. Go back to Isaiah 19. So we see a glimpse of Jesus, right? Coming in the clouds, shaking the heavens, shaking the earth. Fear, man's hearts melting them, melting for fear. We see a glimpse into the tribulation. What do we see? Warfare, kingdom against kingdom. What do we see? Famines, rivers drying up, people uh, going hungry as a result of it, probably produced by mankind himself. What do we see? We, we, we see a strong delusion. We see a perverse spirit mingled upon the people. But notice, there's more in Isaiah 19. There's also a glimpse of the coming Antichrist. Notice Isaiah 19 and verse 3. A glimpse of the coming Antichrist. Isaiah 19 and verse 3. And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof. And I will destroy the counsel thereof. And they shall seek to idols and to the charmers and to them that have familiar spirits and to the wizards. And the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel Lord. And I want you to make note of this phrase. And a fierce king. Do you see that? Shall rule over them, saith the Lord. The Lord of hosts. So the Bible says that during this time, God will allow a cruel Lord and a fierce king to rule over Egypt, who represents what? The world. Now keep your finger there in Isaiah 19. Go to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. And let's, let's uh, give you some cross references here. Daniel chapter 8. Look at verse 12. You go just a little past Isaiah. You, once you get out of Ezekiel and Jeremiah Lamentations. Daniel chapter 8. And I want you to make note of this phrase in Isaiah 19.4. He's going to send a cruel Lord and a fierce king. In Daniel chapter 8 and verse 19, uh, and uh, we don't have time to read the entire chapter. We'll just start at verse 19. You can read the context if you'd like later. He's talking to us about the kings of the earth. And he ends talking about the Antichrist, the king that will one day rule the entire earth. Daniel 8 and verse 19, the Bible says this, And he said, Behold, I will make thee now, I, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end. So notice, the context is what? He's explaining to him what's going to happen at the end of the indignation, for at, that, at the time appointed the end shall be. Notice verse 20, The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. Those were kings that were alive at the time of Daniel. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia, which is probably referring to Alexander the Great, which was a coming world power. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now, that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four, notice what he, he's talking about kings and kingdoms. He said, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And in the latter time, so he's saying, at the, at the end, he says, in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the uh, full, notice, a king, now this king is the Antichrist, the coming ruler of the entire world. A king, notice this phrase, of fierce countenance. Do you see that? And understanding, dark sentences shall stand up. So Daniel tells us there's a king coming who's fierce. 
Isaiah tells us there's a king coming who's fierce. And it's referring to this fierce king of the Antichrist. Now here's what's interesting, and here's the insight that Isaiah gives us about this Antichrist that a lot of times we don't, we, well, we don't mention a lot and we don't talk about a lot. But keep your finger there in Daniel 8 because we're going to come right back to it. But go back to Isaiah 19. I want you to notice something about the time of this king that's going to come. And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof. Verse 3. And I will destroy the counsel thereof. That's talking about that spirit of delusion. And they shall seek to the idols. Now notice, when the spirit of delusion comes, when the council is broken, when they're confused, here's what Egypt is going to do. Here's what the world is going to do. They're going to seek to the idols. And notice who they seek to. The charmers, and to them that have familiar spirits, and to wizards. Now charmers, familiar spirits, and wizards is all a reference to the occult. Someone who has a familiar spirit in the Bible is what you and I would refer to as being demon-possessed or devil, you know, possessed by a devil. A charmer and a wizard are references to witchcraft. Now the Bible says, and the Egyptians will I, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 4, and the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel Lord, and a fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And here's what the Bible is teaching. When this fierce king comes, when this fierce king, this cruel Lord takes over, they're going to look at idols, at familiar spirits, at charmers, and at wizards. Now notice, compare that to what Daniel chapter 8 says. Remember Daniel chapter 8, we saw in verse 23 that there was a king coming of fierce countenance. A king that is going to rule the world. Now notice, when the, when the Antichrist comes in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 24, notice what the Bible says about him. And his powers, talking about the Antichrist, shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully. I think that's interesting, that terminology. He's going to destroy, but he's going to do it wonderfully. People are going to be impressed by it. And shall prosper. He's going to destroy Christians, persecute Christians, and he's going to prosper and practice. Notice that word practice. What the Bible is telling us, he's not only going to prosper, but he's also going to practice. Now that term practice is probably referring to witchcraft. And, and I'll prove it to you even further. And shall destroy the mighty and the holy people, verse 25. And, though he, and through his policy, now notice the terminology is political terminology. This is a political leader. And through his policy also, he shall cause the craft. Now, the craft is referring to witchcraft. Through his policy also, he shall cause the craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace shall destroy many. He'll say, I'm bringing peace. So he's going to kill a bunch of Christians in the name of peace. And he shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hands. So here's what I understand. The Bible says about the Antichrist that he's going to cause the craft to prosper by his policy. And you've got to understand this. When the Antichrist comes to this earth, there will be a revival of the occult. There will be a revival of devil worship, demon worship, Satan worship. And you know what's interesting is this. We already see those steps being taken by our political leaders today. Today, political leaders, I mean, I don't care, Republican, Democrat, you know, 
People say, I don't like you talking about... Look, George Bush and Obama. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. They're all crooked. They're all liars. If they were honest, they'd go get a real job. They're all wicked. And here's what's interesting. Republicans, Democrats, every single one of them. You know, all our politicians, if you look into them, they all want to be part of these secret societies. And they're not very secret because we all know about them. But they all want to be, you know, the Masons, the Illuminati, the Bohemian Grove. You know, Ronald Reagan sat there and Nixon. And they're all a part of it. And here's, you know, what's the underlying, you know, what's the common denomination, uh, denominator between the Illuminati, the Masons, the Bohemian Grove, all these, you know, the Bilderberg Group. What, what's the common denominator? I'll tell you what it is. The occult. They all worship Satan. I mean, the Bohemian Grove... The Bible tells us that in groves is where they worship Satan. And these political leaders, economic leaders, you know, movie stars that you like to watch and singers that you like to listen to, they all go to this grove and they worship an idol and it's Satan. And it's exactly what the Bible tells us is going to happen. The Bible says the Antichrist is going to show up and there's going to be a revival of the occult. Through his policy, he will cause the crop to prosper. And it's already happening because all of our political leaders today, they're all involved and they all want to dabble in the occult. They think it's cool. It's what the cool kids do. And you know, you you need to understand this. There's already an agenda by our media to program our society to be accepting of this. There's coming a day when the leaders will not only in secret societies worship Satan, but they will do it publicly. They will set policies. They will make laws to encourage people to worship Satan, the Antichrist. And you say, well, that, there, it could never be a day when the president would make a policy to encourage people to worship, you know, devils. But you know what? We're already being programmed to think that it's acceptable to worship devils. The, the media today, you know, uh, has TV shows and has movies that are programming. And you may think, oh, it's just innocent. But your kids are growing up, you know, watching these shows, The Walking Dead. Playing these games, Minecraft, all about zombies. Watching, you know, movies like Twilight and World War Z. I don't even know what half of these things are. I have to get somebody to help me. Dracula Untold. Oz, which is all about what? A wizard. The Hobbit. The Purge. You got your little Lord of the Rings that you want to watch. You want to let your kids watch Frozen. And you want to let them watch all these, you know, Harry Potter and Star Wars. And you think it's just fun. It's just, it's just innocent. It's just, you know, it, it, it's just having a good time. But look, when you train your kids to think that Harry Potter is cool, one day the Antichrist is going to show up and say, Hey, we ought to all do witchcraft. And they're going to say, Yeah, I like Harry Potter. I like Lord of the Rings. Frozen, that was my favorite song. Or some witch is going around and coming out of the closet. And it's, it's cool, it's interesting, and we're being programmed. And, and we talk about this and people say, I can't believe you're saying that. And we're being programmed to think that it's cool to worship Satan. And one time, there's coming a day when a political leader will come, and by his policy, he will cause the craft to prosper. When the Antichrist shows up, there's going to be a revival of the occult. When the Antichrist shows up, people are going to think it's cool to go to groves and worship Satan. When the Antichrist shows up, there will be a public... Because remember, who gave the Antichrist, who gave the beast his power? The dragon, Satan. 
And we're living in a society that is programming us to think that it's fun and it's cool and it's just a good time and it's just a movie. It's just a video game. But we're being programmed. Our society is being taught to think that these things are just lighthearted. It's fun. And look, it's been happening for years. When I was a teenager, you know, it was, uh, you know, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. <laughs> you know, it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And when you were a teenager, it was Bewitched, you know. And that shows how old you are. Isaiah 19, look at verse 18. It's been coming for a while. We're being programmed to think that these things are fun. They're just lighthearted. It's just a Disney movie. Isaiah 19, look at verse 18. In Isaiah 19, we not only get a glimpse of the coming Christ with clouds, with an earthquake that will shake the heavens and shake the earth. We not only get a glimpse of the coming tribulation, Wars, kingdom against kingdom, famines, delusions, confusion. We not only get a glimpse of the coming Antichrist, a fierce, cruel king that will promote wizards and will promote the occult and will promote the worship of Satan. And, and you know, you, you say, well, Pastor, I don't know, you know, Harry Potter is just a little game and it's just a little movie and I don't think it's a big deal. But look, our, our presidents and our senators and, and all our people that are worshiping Satan and the Illuminati, they don't think it's a game. And they think it's, they, they take it pretty seriously. Isaiah 19, look at verse 18. Isaiah 19, verse 18. We also get a glimpse of the coming millennial kingdom. And I just want you to notice that it's not, it's not all doom and gloom. If you read to the end of the book, we win. And the only reason that we win is because we're with the guy that has all power, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 19 and verse 18, the Bible says, In that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the languages of Canaan. Now here's what you got to understand. Before the millennial reign of Christ, there's going to be this uniting of the world. Egypt is going to speak the language of Canaan. And swear to the Lord of hosts, and one shall be called the city of destruction. In that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. And it shall be for a sign, and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors. And he shall send them a Savior. Look, during that time, there's going to be unbelievers that will turn to Christ as a result of it. Hey, whenever you turn to the Savior, he'll send you the Savior. And a great one shall he deliver them, verse 21. And the Lord shall be, notice this, the Lord shall be known to Egypt. And the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day. And shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow a vow unto the Lord and perform it. And the Lord shall smite Egypt. He shall smite and heal it. And they shall return even to the Lord. And he shall be entreated of them. And they shall heal them. In that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. Now notice, in that day is referring to that millennial kingdom. There's coming a day, you know, when actual world peace will happen. Not just what our world, you know, today says, we're trying to get peace in the Middle East. It's never going to happen until the Prince of Peace shows up. Then it will happen. And in that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt and Assyria. Now understand this. At the time of Isaiah, Egypt, Assyria is getting ready to kill Egypt. But he says, you know, there's coming a day when Egypt and Assyria, you guys will be working together. You'll be traveling back and forth. People will be vacationing between you two. There's coming a day when there's going to be commerce between you. He says, in that day there shall be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. Look at verse 24. In that day shall Israel be third with Egypt and with Assyria. 
So there's coming a day when all the nations will be united. And it won't be during the Antichrist, but it will be during the Christ reign. And that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land. Look at verse 25. Whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. You know, people attack us because we say the, the nation of Israel has been rejected because they rejected Christ and God's, you know, the, the, the idea of God's chosen people has moved from the nation of Israel to a new nation of believers. And people say, you guys are crazy and you need to study dispensations, you need to do all that. But, you know, in the book of Isaiah, which is an Old Testament book, the Bible says, blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of mine hands. And Israel, my inheritance. See, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to beat the Antichrist at the Battle of Armageddon and will set up a kingdom. And there will actually be peace. And there will not be any ranks. There will not be a nation that these are God's people and they're better than you are. No, 